When a video of a Kiwi venturing out in daylight looking for water was posted on social media, it melted hearts around the world. Lucky day, you're blessed, gushed viewers. But capturing this cute little Kiwi in the light of day is a bad sign. We've had 21 Kiwi handed in dead or dying, and many found were either drowned, hit by cars or killed by dogs, or from malnutrition and dehydration. Jess Scrimger is an ecologist at DOC. She's talking to the details Jessie Chang about the number of Kiwi handed into just one DOC office in Northland. But if we compare that to last summer, the office only received eight birds. So we're seeing a significant increase uh, in the number of Kiwi impacted by the dry conditions. Because Kiwi uh, use their bills to probe the ground for food, uh, the ground is dry and hard and that means that they can't probe the ground as well as they normally do to get the food. And this is particularly hard on kiwi chicks, which have softer builds than those of adults. And so because kiwi get most of the moisture from their food, they're having to forage longer and further than usual, meaning that they're coming out during the day, which increases the risk of being run over by cars or encountering dogs, which are a threat to kiwi. Um, And because they're out during the day when it's hot, they are also getting dehydrated and overheating during the day. Have there been any estimates about how many kiwi will have to get treatment during this period? The estimates that we have are considered vast underestimates, mostly because a lot of kiwi are out there suffering and we won't be able to see them or people aren't reporting them in. But um, it's fair to say that we're going to be seeing birds coming in for a little while longer. And are there any other species of wildlife that you know are deeply impacted by drought? We're certainly concerned about habitat drying out, especially for species that rely on moisture for survival and breeding. So some of the more obvious examples will be some of our land snails and frogs and um, our freshwater species like laxids and mudfish that rely on streams. So as an example for Uh, Giant land snails, polyphanta, rather iconic. What we're finding across the country are that snails are still declining despite successful possum controls. So the soil moisture is the biggest driver of snail numbers, irrespective of predator control. As we can expect, um, drier and hotter conditions, combined with habitat degradation from things like deer, goats and pigs, that the impact on snails and our ability to recover them will certainly become more challenging. Just as another example of how those kind of species that are a bit more hidden and aren't in the public eye are the ones that might be most impacted. The big dry that is forcing our iconic kiwi into survival mode has already had a devastating impact on farming in the north. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and today on The Detail, the drought in Northland, Waikato and South Auckland that could turn out to be the worst ever to hit these regions. In Whangarei, it's the driest summer since World War II. Further north, the army's been called in to deliver water to residents and all across the top half of the North Island, farm are desperate to get their stock off the land. So you're looking out to the Haraki Gulf there, in the islands. So in a clear day, you'd see out the Great Barrier, but it's quite sort of uh, hazy today, mm. Cor- Coromandel Range. 
I'm 600 metres above sea level with Auckland Deputy Mayor Bill Cashmore. We're not here to talk about stunning views. Bill's showing me what months without rain is doing to his 1,220 hectare farm. In a normal season, there'd be uh, 2,000 lambs up here and you'd be shifting them around their rotation. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, there's not very many up here now. Mm, no. Quite a complex farm to run. There's lots of different, 17 different classes of stock at any one time on the property. And you get a dryer like this, it just sort of throws that completely out of whack. It was shaping up to be the farm's best year until the worst drought he's ever known dried the grass. You don't get nervous? No. Not scared of heights? No. <laughs> don't worry about that seatbelt. So when you say it's gone from brown to grey... That's that it. means... You'll see when you get up a bit higher. Look, actually, there's no bottom left in it, anything. Like normally you'd have sub-clover as a base, but that's all fried as well. What's your livestock? So 3,000 ewes, 300 breeding cows. And those 3,000 ewes will have 4,200 to 4,500 lambs. Plus then there's 1,000 hoggets that also have lambs a bit later on. So each year we'll have somewhere around 5,300 5, lambs on the property, and we sell around 4,000 of those. Mm-hmm. And then with the cattle, we keep back around 60, 65 um, for replenishing of the breeding stock and the rest are all finished. Mm. So what we need now is, is a, a good period of medium rain um, over an extended period, but we also what we need is a really good autumn. Otherwise, winter will be problematic. We will have to destock capital stock in late autumn if we don't get a good good growth over that period. Mm. We've done a fair bit already. But if we next stage is okay, we might have to drop a thousand ewes and a hundred cows to go through, which would be heart, heartbreaking, quite frankly. When you say heartbreaking, well, these animals you've bred up, and you know we've been doing this for a long time, especially the cattle and the sheep for that matter. But we tend to buy good quality livestock for our breeding size and rams, and um, to sell off that's all that sort of genetic material that you've bred up over a lifetime, be a bit of a bucket, quite frankly. But more than that, isn't yeah, it? Well, I mean, huge financial but, loss. Yeah, you think a big, big hit for that. Um, and hopefully, someone else can buy them. Has got some grass. Do you see signs of stress in the animals? Some of the breeding cows, yeah, with calves um, still suckling off them. Yeah, I'm worried about those. Um, they're Angus, though. They're tough, and they'll they'll forage and they'll forage pretty well. But we're even running out of forage material now. Um, and because our hay crops were half what they normally were because it was so such a dry spring and summer. Mm. So we'd loathe to feed out hay until we absolutely have to. So um, there's some decisions we made over the next month, six weeks, about what we do. Yeah. We we're, just, we're just hoping we get some rain. I'm feeling the rain coming. You can actually sense it in the air, but just how quickly it comes. If it's another month, we'll have to we'll have to do something. You must get up in the morning, do you, and look out and go, oh, no, it's another sunny day. Yeah, when I get up in the morning, I see stars. Um <laughs> It's still dark, but um, yeah, I think when I get into town, it's sort of half past five, quarter six, you look out, and I look back over this way, um, which you'll see when we get to the top, and you think, oh, no, it's just going to be another hot. Not today. Not today, yeah. They've got new ones, building new steel gates. So we've got our own disc and cultivation gear, seeding gear, weed control, big machinery. Mm, I bought so. that for Lynn for her birthday. She wasn't very happy. <laughs> <laughs> How many women get a 15-ton bulldo- birthday present, eh? <laughs> big bulldozer. Yeah. I'd like to buy her a digger for her uh, next birthday, 15-ton excavator. But the trout's put told to that. What, what does an animal that's stressed look like? I mean, what, do, what can you see? 
So those ewes that are in my paddock by the house, mm. they're the worst ones on the farm. He said, they're just not happy, they're not handling it well. So we put them off. If you didn't take, if you draft off or take the poorest performing sheep away from the rest of the mob, they're not under the same competitive pressure. But how can you tell? What do you see? I'm more looking their face, actually. You can see they just, they got a, I call it the sad eye look. Aww. These fellas here, there's some weather lambs, so that just, they should be booming, you know, but they, they're just not. February's always a dry month, maybe a, a bit brown, but this has gone grey and it's, it would still be green grass, there'd be still clover two or three centimetres thick under here normally, but yeah, we haven't seen clover since early January. So what are they eating? Um, There's still summer grass bits and pieces around. Um, yeah. And they've got water? Oh yeah. We've got water in every paddock. Natural water. Okay. So that's why the low ones, that's why we've got, see the... the Bush growth around this, this little, that's actually a drain there, but streams. Yeah. So we've got, we've been encouraging, you'll see it better from the top. There's an example there where we've got natural bush recovering up every gully. Yeah. That's what we've been doing that for 40 years. It just, um, it's defence that all the waterways off of this property would be impossible. You'd yeah. create more damage than what you would actually solve. Do you have a feeling about when the rain comes this time? Often these droughts are broken with a big storm. Um, I really don't want that, I really don't want that. Um, the Tasman temperatures just came out of nowhere last time. It just there was it wasn't even forecasting heavy rain. It was just a whole fluky set of occurrences that yeah. dumped it all on this area. Um, don't want that. No. That's the intensity of this time. We've got native trees there dying because it's so dry. Yeah. So it's a tanikaha and it's just keeling over. Do you worry about fire? Uh, we'd be pretty cautious. Because the ground's been grazed, we don't have the long litter like they had in Australia, that sort of thing. Mm. But I'd be worried if it's something got into here at the moment, with the understory here with all the leaf litter. Yeah. I'd be concerned about that. Normally you wouldn't worry two tosses about it because you could never burn native bush, but I would be this time. I would to make sure no one, no one's up here with, with naked flames, no camping. Yeah. Any smokers, they've got to bring their butts out with them. Yeah. Just on Friday, this area, a drought mm. was declared. What does that mean? Not a lot, really. Um, it means access to some advice, expertise, I guess, from someone who might have a different view. Money? No. Why not? We need to be resilient. You know, there might be some hardship funds available for people who are in real dire straits, but I think most farmers in New Zealand are pretty resilient nowadays. Do you want help? No, we've, we've got our plans. Uh, we've got... The emergency water supplies for the houses, we've had those for years. You know, we'll just keep destocking as we have to do so. So that's our main valley, runs back there. From the road back, goes back 8k. And that's sort of the, it would normally be where all the lambs and cattle will be fattening. Well, as you can see, it's not much happening down there. Do you think this but, is the new normal? I don't know if it's the new normal or not. I, we've had droughts before, this one's just pretty more severe than most. Um, you know, we're completely different to Australia. It's higher stocking rates. It's, it's a different sort of intensity, um, different systems. We are more reliant on regular rainfall. But if, the, if this is the new norm, we'll just have to adapt to um, different systems. We'll, we'll look really hard at putting in um, lucerne, raising lucerne, and learning learn how to uh, adapt to that. When will you know if this is the way it's going to be? Well, I think we'll start looking pretty hard next spring at putting in some fairly resilient type crops early, very early, maybe even midwinter or even the autumn, 
to get them established. We just got to sort of figure that, plan that through, yeah. but do some good, good scientific analysis of what's available, what will work best. Because you know, if it's the dry, well, it should be lower humidity, but we've got to have crops that will stand that Auckland climate. Yeah. And you know, what works in Marlborough might not necessarily work here. And when you do scientific analysis, where do you get that information from? Who do you talk to? Mostly Mr Google was pretty good. Is that right? <laughs> um, but no, there's all, you know, every week we're getting um, journals from, from scientific groups around the country that are doing research, whether it's at Massey University or Land and Plant Research or Grasslands Association, so we're pretty avid consumers of material like that to understand exactly what's the latest and the best available. Do you feel immense pressure at the moment? I mean, you're getting up really early in the morning, four o'clock, yeah. to go into the office in town every day. I've always done that. Oh, right. <laughs> That's not oh yes, of course. So the farming, I used, farm used to get up at six o'clock and be a bit work by seven or seven thirty. So the council works different, it's like a big commute, so I get up at yeah, quarter past four. And I'm going to leave by quarter to five or thereabouts. I'm in town by half past five, quarter to six. Yeah. But then you've got this massive farm that's under a lot of stress at the moment. How do you cope with all of that? So Robert, my son's been running the farm uh, since I got elected as a councillor. So that's now uh, nine years. He's feeling the pressure at the moment. This is the worst one he's ever seen or felt. Um, it's the worst one I've seen as well, but I've been through them before. So I learnt not don't panic too early, but have your systems in place so you can move quickly when you have to. Yeah. This was starting off to be the best year we've ever had on this property as far as incomes concerned. Record prices for lamb and some beef. And um, it was looking to be a really good year. Um, but the drought's taken that out. Completely taken it out. So we've got a, a big opportunity loss that was yeah, we were uh, not expecting. You know, the beef and lamb shares have all fallen substantially. We started off the year at, yeah, with lambs at $9 a kilogram and now it's Five fifty, I understand. Five seventy. And then on top of that, coronavirus basically stopping activity at the ports and yeah, that's hurting. China. Especially the guys who are doing the logs are hurting because they yeah, the, the whole supply chain's chocked up. Yeah. In China and in the rest of the world, but that's sort of starting to ease a touch now. I hear I was talking to one of the uh, <coughs> owners of a um, meat exporting business last night, and he said, look, it's just starting to open up a bit more. Yeah. But you know, there's a big backlog. Has that also had an impact? Luckily, we Robert does a lot of contracts, so he he has a, um, guaranteed sale points. But for those who are supplying the spot market, they've been probably caught and they have to wait three or four weeks before they can get stock off, or we've got guaranteed sale dates. Uh-huh. Do you feel like this is this could be a turning point, though? Um, a lot of people, you know, say, yeah, is this the new, new norm? Is this climate change the reality of it? Um, you know, tell me what, I don't know. All I know is I've, in my 40 years odd here running this property, I've seen change seasonally anyway. And we've had extremes. We've had flooding extremes. We've had, um, you know, droughts before. But what's been interesting about this drought, it hasn't been as long as some of the others, but it was it came in with intense westerly winds that burned everything off. So it's been shorter, and hopefully it'll be shorter, and sharper. The worst I ever remember is we were dry right through until the middle of May. And that was pretty, that was the worst one I can remember. But we, um, that was followed up by three excellent seasons. So, yeah, we've been through the seasonal variability. It's just whether it's going to be, it's just going to be consistently summer dry. Um, I sincerely hope not. But if it is, we'll find a way through it. Yeah, you'll keep farming animals.
Well, we might not. We might say, right, well, um, we'll put a lot of it in plantations or we'll put it into horticultural crops. We could, this, this, the land's the land, and you just got to find what suits it best. The challenge for New Zealand is not a lot of it is actually good for growing horticultural crops or vegetables. You know, it's, it, it is pasture country. There's a tree right beside the river that's suffering from drought stress. Look at that. Yeah. That wasn't like that two weeks ago. That shows the severity. They all are. And they're right beside the river. You have to keep some stock because otherwise... You've got no you, income. Yeah, you're starting... And when you do go to replace them, you've got to buy them and they'll cost you a fortune because everyone else is doing the same thing. So you try to hold on, you know, but then you go to a point where some people have been caught in the past, especially down in the South Island, where they've held on to the point where they can't sell them, you know? Mm. And it's... Well, they can't sell them because why? Well, they're such a poor condition. And, oh. and you can't buy and feed, and then the bank gives you bristles, and, yeah, there's nothing worse than the bank trying to control your business. Let me tell you that, because I've been there. But, you know, it's getting pretty serious now. I'm still looking around. Haven't been up around the bank for two weeks. I'll have a chat to Robert tonight. We might decide. To, we might decide to get rid of some more cattle. We're coming to within, I'd say, two weeks of making a fairly large decision about what we, how much we destock. And and destocking, that's um, selling off. Selling off. Selling. Sell, selling off the trading cattle. Selling off the, tra- off the steers, the trading cattle. Yeah. And maybe a, a bunch of. Old use, older use, those, those ones we saw before that go into the terminal site. Yeah. Might sell, they'd, they'd probably have to go to the works too. Because uh, there'd be no one around with feed to buy them, I wouldn't You're really in touch with people around here, and do you think that other farmers or landholders are managing this? They're all hurting in one degree to another, some worse than others because they've got drier properties or on the coast, they're getting really fried. They're helping each other, right? They'll come around, have a beer, have a chat. Um, I'll, I'll graze some of your sheep for you, or look, you take my space at the works because I'm all right for another three weeks. There's a lot of that going on. Really? So people are helping each other, um, which is great to see, you know. And it's the same thing when you see the, the people in those coastal villages, you know, come and use my, I've got plenty of water in my tent, come and have a shower at my place, we'll wash your clothes for you. you know, that, that's going on a lot, and you know, that's, that's, that's just great. Really, it's getting to the stage now where we're feeding them to keep them alive rather than uh, produce milk. 365 kilometres north of the Cashmores, Kaitaia dairy farmer and shop owner Ian Walker is struggling to get rid of stock. It's taken me uh, eight weeks to get 50 cows off the farm and uh, I still have got 10 to go to the works. Being able to you know, de-stock has been not particularly easy. Why is that? Everybody is in the same boat, so everybody's trying to reduce the number of mouths, if you like, uh, that's on the farm to uh, relieve the situation. The demand for space at the meatworks has been very, very high. And then, of course, on top of that, we've had this coronavirus, uh, which has restricted selling of the meat. So from what I'm told is that the meatworks are struggling actually to distribute the meat through their normal channels at the moment, or it's slowed down, so they're if, if they can't sell it, they're not going to be killing it. So it's been a bit of a double whammy, that one. So can you describe to me, Ian, what process you go through in trying to get those 50 cows off the farm? Well, you basically ring your uh, territory agent from the Meatworks and he books space on your behalf. Like I had 58 to go and uh, there's only so many animals that they can process a day. So 
uh, you just have to wait your turn. He is trying to fit me in, and that's why I've managed to get 50 away. Normally, you'd just book them in. They'd all go at once. I've got you know, another 10 cows to go. So, uh, of course, I have to feed them for two months, yeah. uh, which, which makes life uh, just more complicated. Like I've been farming up here for oh, off and on for about 40 years, certainly 30 years on this particular farm. And, uh, you know, there isn't much I haven't experienced. We're running at about oh, 25% below our budget, and we may have to dry off for the next week uh, because our cows are... We're, we're basically putting them in a new paddock as a change of scenery and hard feeding them with palm kernels, and that's something I normally don't use uh, because we're an all-grass operation. So for me to start having to buy in truckloads of hard feed is very unusual. And it must be very costly as well. Absolutely. Around $500 a tonne, and uh, a normal dairy cow eats about like 18 kilos of dry matter per day and you've got 300 of them, uh, that's an awful lot of hard feed. And I'm, I'm certainly not feeding them to their uh, their potential because we'd go broke. You've got a river running through your farm? Yes, the Awanui River, which is the main water supply for uh, Kaitaia, uh, as well as most farmers that uh, are close to that river. What's that looking like? Yeah, the water flows are very, very low at the moment and uh, the regional council, as far as uh, the town water supply, is putting them on re- heavy restrictions, if not turning them off, because you, you can't take all the water out of the river. No. So we're hearing that the army is up there distributing water. Yeah, that Kaitai water scheme up here uh, is old. It's in uh, dire need of uh, some capital investment. They're using... Uh, what I believed was an installation of a, an emergency supply out of the directly out of the river, which became the normal supply, which is not particularly uh, uh, a wise move. But uh, I guess it comes down to local government and their inability or ability to maintain infrastructure. They had a dam uh, which hasn't been maintained particularly well, and that was how. Kaitai got its water, but in certainly in the last 15 years they've been relying on pumping directly out of the river, which they've already they've been here once before about 10 years ago, uh, and here we are again. That's the detail today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Mark Jennings. And thanks to Bill Cashmore, Ian Walker, and Jess Scrimger. Ka nui tēnei.